0: Well, good morning church. Good morning. How can't you not preach after that? Right? What a glorious thing. It's an honor for me to be here. It really is. I'm humbled by it to fill Paul's pulpit, to be with you. What a wonderful place to be on a Sunday morning. I have bragged about you all over the country these past years. But I'm also sobered, Uh, sobered by an invitation where uh, the the Lord's spirit laid my name on your pastor's heart, and then he called me. So I consider it a special assignment, not just simply to fill his pulpit, But the Lord obviously wanted me to say something to you which arises out of uh, who I am and what he has raised me up to be. Now on top of these things, it's also special because my wife Sally could be with me. You met her just a few moments ago on the screen. I have told her about Sherwood for years and now she gets to experience Sherwood's people with me. I'm so glad she's here. I'm also here as a member of a group of friends. We call it One Cry. It's a movement uh, among friends, friends like Byron Paulus, who used to be the executive director of, of Life Action Ministries in uh, Buchanan, Michigan, or, or Bill Eliff, who was recently, uh, until recently, the senior pastor of of, uh, uh, of uh, the Summit Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And there are other friends as well. And uh, my, one of my mottos in life is that history is transformed among friends. Wherever you see great movements of God, you see a group of friends who have bound themselves together in a common vision. And we have been bound together in the com- a common vision for revival in the American church and spiritual awakening across our land. Sally and I stepped away from our church last year so we could give ourselves to this vision and we are seeing fruit. It's not enough fruit, but we're seeing fruit, the moving of God in history. One of the projects I led this past year involved Asbury University and five months before a revival broke out there last winter. My team was interacting with people not only on the university, but in the city of, or the town of Wilmer and surrounding areas in Lexington. Interacting with spiritual leaders on the campus, in the town, in the city. And then God came. God came in remarkable ways. And on the 16th day of continuous services and continuous worship and praise, I produced a global telecast from Asbury's Hughes Auditorium, and I'll share more about that tonight because I covet your prayers for a similar work that we're engaged in now in Waco, Texas, asking the Lord, what next, oh God, where next on the campuses of America? And so in Waco, we're mobilizing hundreds of pastors and churches already in monthly prayer Uh, ready at the 1st of January to begin 40 days of continual fasting and prayer, culminating with another international broadcast February 29th from Waco Hall on the campus of Baylor University, a united prayer meeting for all 4,300 college campuses across the United States. And I'm here to testify God's Spirit is moving among Gen Z. But listen to me, if he does not, and if we do not join him in this work, the American church will collapse within a generation. Because as we grow old and the boomers leave the stage, the next generation and the generation behind it, there's no one there, at least in relative terms. But for this morning, I'd like us to consider one of the building blocks, not only one of the building blocks of revival, but one of the building blocks for every follower of Jesus, one leg of what I call a three-legged stool. I'll I'll explain that in a moment, but I want us to think through the relationship between prayer and our identity in Christ. Prayer and our identity in Christ. I I mentioned the three-legged stool On the human side of the kingdom of God equation, there are three legs of a stool, I believe. One is resolve. We can be resolved to follow Jesus and to do what he commands us to do. The second is devotion to his word, the revelation that he has given us. But the third is prayer. Because by praying, we are acknowledging that the work of heaven is thoroughly and utterly a work of the Holy Spirit. Now take away any of these three legs and the stool collapses. Now to this end, we will state then this morning that prayer defines our relationship to God. Prayer defines our relationship to history. Prayer defines our destiny. And in, a of, in the matter of prayer, Jesus is our identity and our chief example. Now tonight, I'm going to share with you how this has played out, not only in church history, but here are some testimonies about what God is actually doing today. And I hope you'll be back for those. But before we go any further, let's you and I pray ourselves. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that without the spirit of God revealing and moving and transforming, the exercises that we are involved in this morning are vacuous, but we trust, O oh God, even as we just sang, we trust in you, O oh Lord, that you attend to the prayers of your saints and that you intend to use us for the glory of heaven. Bless us this morning as we attend to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as it relates to prayer, let me start with my identity because my material DNA is Norwegian. It's totally Norwegian. One half from the city of Bergen on the west coast of Norway, the other half from a town called Arendal, on the southern coast of of, uh, Norway. Now the family picture that you see is from Arendal, about 1930. My grandmother, Andorra, is in the middle, just sort of on the right of the picture, middle right of your picture, and she's standing right behind her dad, her father, the the bearded one. He is my great-grandfather. And right beside her, uh, him, I should say, sitting to his left, your right, is my teenage mother. Astrid is her name. And behind her is my grandfather, Ole. Now, my great-grandfather was a simple builder, a a contractor, a, a carpenter. But he was also a man of prayer. On the floor of the corner of one of the rooms in their house, a a building that he constructed, are two grooves worn into the pine floor where he knelt to pray each day, year after year. Now, these two grooves, you can still go to the house today and see them. And my grandmother told me that beginning on her 12th birthday, my great-grandfather began a practice that lasted until she left home from her 12th birthday every night he would kneel down with her and pray over her not only prayed for her but also for her husband her children and her grandchildren every night now think about that for a moment because I could preach the rest of the morning on just this illustration alone about the fruitfulness of faithfulness, about how history can be shaped by normal people trusting an extraordinary God, and how our prayers outlive us, sometimes by centuries. I could go on, but let me testify personally with wonder and astonishment in my soul that I stand before you as one who was prayed for over a hundred years ago, beheld by faith, not by sight, interceded for long before I was born, long before my name was known to anyone. And if that wasn't enough, you and I can agree with praise today that all that I have ever achieved for the glory of Christ can be attributed to prayers Prayed by a modest small town blue collar worker who loved me before I was born and who trusted the Father in heaven to answer his prayers. And if that doesn't sound like Jesus, I don't know what does. Amen. 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 The Jesus movement that trans- just transformed my life in the 1970s. The coffee houses that I built in and, and collaborated with others, and the hundreds who came to Christ. The Jesus Festivals produced the pastoring of three churches, two Billy Graham Crusades, one with 250,000 in Central Park, citywide prayer movements that are still going on. 35 years of broadcasting, including the National Day of Prayer, the Global Day of Prayer, speaking to in hundreds of different venues. Now beholding revival on college campuses through the Collegian Day of Prayer. All this can be attributed in part or in whole to a man by faith who was remade himself by the DNA of heaven, utterly captivated by the grace of Christ, who by simple faith and with no noteworthy spiritual gifts as I can determine, simply trusted his heavenly father to answer his prayers on behalf of his family, on behalf of generations yet to be born. Listen to me, please. There is no one in this room who could not impact history in a similar manner. There is no one in this room who could not impact history in a similar manner. Well, let's back up just a little bit and first agree on some fundamentals. We said that prayer defines our relationship to God Say that with me. Prayer defines our relationship to God. But this begs an even simpler question because we need to understand the essence of prayer. What is it? Well, if I were to ask you what is prayer, many of you, in fact, most that I've polled over the years, would say that it's communication with God. Communication with God. Well, It can't be that if you define communication as it's popularly understood as the passing of information between two or more parties. Because there is nothing you can tell God that he doesn't already know. I want you to repeat that with me. There is nothing I can tell God that he doesn't already know. Look at your friend next to you or your spouse or whatever. You can't tell God anything he doesn't already know. Say it. Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus, the Father knows what you need even before you, what? Ask. Now that doesn't mean words aren't important in prayer. God is saying to us, I know what you're going to say, but I I want you to open your mouth and say it. Husbands, it's just sort of like your wife asking you if you still love her. Well, open your mouth and say it. Say, I want, you, I want to hear that. God wants to hear what you have to say. Some might say, well, how about communion with God? This is a warmer word, and it brings to mind, you know, intimate fellowship. Think about the conversations Adam had with God as they walked together in the cool of the day in the book of Genesis in the garden. This is a better choice of words, I think. But the Bible takes us even deeper still because the essence of prayer is found in our union with God. Union with God. It goes beyond words. Beyond the framing of words and ideas. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is what? Christ. Philippians 2.1, we are united with Christ. Galatians 2.20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ what? Lives in me. In fact, Christ in me is the hope of glory. John 15, like a vine... And its branches is the relationship between you and me, Jesus says. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. My life flowing in you. My my life flowing out of you. Bearing fruit. Fruit that will last. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 17, Jesus praying to his father. We worship a God who prays. It is the language of the Godhead. Jesus praying to his Father, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, Father, I in them, my disciples, and you in me, may they also be in us, so that the world may, be, may know that you have sent me. This always blows my mind as 2 Peter 1.4 says, we participate in the divine nature. Somebody say, wow. We are woven into the divine nature by our faith in Christ and his righteousness. E. Stanley Jones, one of my favorite missionaries, writes this, The first thing in prayer is to get God. If you get him, everything else follows. Prayer is like the fastening of the cup to the wounded side of a pine tree to allow the rosin to pour into it. You are now nestling up into the side of God, the wounded side, if you will, and you allow his grace to fill your cup you are taking in the very life of God. Many of us think of prayer only what we say to God and forget that it is what God is pouring into us. This is why we pray in the Spirit, the Bible says, Jude 1.20. This is the flow of God to me, the the flow of God through me. As my life is poured into his, he pours his life into mine. Now think of being online with hosted software. If you don't like the idea of uh, of vines and branches, uh, most of you work uh, in your places of work with software that is on the cloud nowadays, uh, third-party software, hosted. This means that your internal operating system is useless until you boot up your device, it goes through an internet service provider who checks out to see if you in fact belong to it, then through that ISP goes to another place that checks out to see if you belong to it and that software, that hosted software, then once you are logged on, downloads into your device data and information and access to billions of pages of information. No access, no work. It's the same manner for prayer. There is nothing more impossible than the Christian life offline. It was never meant to work, and it doesn't. The famous uh, atheist Bertrand Russell said, Jesus left behind something not hard, but impossible. It is impossible, offline. without access to divine power, without access to divine resources, without access to revelation, without access to God, without God having access to your heart in ceaseless prayer. You ever turn your phone off during the day? No way. That device is your life, right? Then why do you turn your heart off to God? That's what the Bible means about praying ceaselessly. Always in the backdrop, always in the background, there's an up and down dynamic going on continually. My life into his, his life into mine, union with God. Now whether the Old Testament or the New Testament, read them both, it's the same message, not by might nor by power but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty in Zechariah 4 6. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying. Someone at dinner last night referenced a a sermon I gave here some years ago on Ezekiel 33 when Ezekiel was in the valley of the dry bones. And in that passage we find the three-legged stool that I was talking about a few moments ago. We see Ezekiel resolved to obey God when God brought him before this valley of dry bones. And he, he spoke as God commanded him to speak. But then he spoke the word of God that was given to him I'm gonna give you exactly what you are gonna say, Ezekiel. You tell them what I, te- what I give you to tell them. And that's all any of us are ever asked to do. You tell them what I told you. But thirdly, he was commanded to pray. He was commanded to summon the wind from the four corners of the earth. Come, wind, and breathe into these slain that they may live. Because my preaching can't do it apart from your miracle. So our lives, if they are prayerful, they are Godful, and they are fruitful. Say those three with me. If they are prayerful, they are Godful, and they are fruitful. Now, the opposite can be said if our lives, if your life is prayerless, it is essentially what? Godless, and it will be fruitless for the sake of his glory. And that means you praying by yourself, but the promise of glorious results is to united prayer. Matthew 18, 19, I, 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 truly I tell you, what Jesus says, whatever you bind, whatever you, plural, he's talking to a crowd, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you, husbands, look at your wives, if two of you would agree, on earth about anything you ask for, it will be be done for you by my Father in heaven. Why? Because it is by the power of the Spirit that it is accomplished. So prayer defines our relationship with God, but it also defines our relationship to history. God wants us to be transformers of history but he wants us to do it in collaboration with his not only his revelation, but his manifestation. Engaging God not only transforms us, but it shapes us. It shapes your marriage, it shapes your family, it shapes your work, work, workplace, your, your children, your grandchildren for generation after generation, your neighborhoods, the history of Albany, the history of the world. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. The slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. A nerve is, is useless, except for the brain and the muscle that, the, that originates out of the impulse and then turns something into action. So for years ago, I met a woman whose husband was in the Army. There were three strip, co- strip clubs near the base, right out the main drag from the base. It infuriated uh, the wives, especially around the base, uh, so they decided to meet regularly in the parking lots of the strip clubs, and they prayed those strip clubs out. Within a year, 18 months, perhaps at most, all three were closed. Now it could have something to do with men seeing their wives (laughs) in the parking (laughs) lots of those cars. But you get the point, right? Praise God for, for women. The church in the hills of central India, I was there some years ago. I was in his small church, it was about 100 people there. Half the church was from a a nearby village. And the pastor says that whole village was transformed. They're, They're all coming now. They were Hindus and now they're all believers. And he explained to me how. Somebody from his village came to him and said his cow was dying. His cow was his only income And he says his cow was dying, he was eating dirt, he was getting, she was getting thin, she was going to die. He would be be hopeless without his cow. No income, no way to keep his family alive. And so he said, would you come? He went to the next next village, the, the man, a Hindu, said, would you pray for my cow? And there in the middle of the village, he laid his hand on the cow, prayed over the cow, uh, he was, the cow was on the ground. The cow rose to his feet. The whole the whole village took a, a gasp. The next morning, the cow was eating grass like he normally did. And within a week, he was he was completely, or she was completely uh, healed. And that Sunday, almost the entire village was in my friend's church. They had they had seen the glory of God. A human vessel through whom God's power was released, an entire village transformed. Take global missions, for example. Christians have been praying to reach the nations of the earth for 300 years or so since the modern missionary movement had its first, uh, uh, saw the light there. But I remember in 1993, That prayer was focused some of you remember it too when praying through the window the 1040 window was launched do you remember that a window that identifies by latitude and longitude the most difficult places on the earth for the reach of the gospel places where the name of Jesus has not been rejected it has never been heard it was mainly an American and European effort and it was projected at the time, in 1993, that it would take another 150 years to have the Bible or a portion of the Bible translated into all the known language groups. So millions of people started praying into that window, bathing this part of the world in prayer. 12 years later, after the uh, 1040 window was launched, I was a part of a team that mobilized a global day of prayer. It took five years for us to plan, but starting on Pentecost Sunday in 2005, we encompassed the entirety of the earth. Starting on the beaches of Fiji, we encompassed the entirety of the earth in one continual prayer meeting. And it went on for five years. Now, this continuous prayer meeting was also covered continuously on television. It began with hundred thousand or more in the national stadium in Jakarta. This is the largest Islamic Republic on the face of the earth. Thousands more filled 50 other Indonesian venues. Then we went to Hong Kong with 50,000 in Hong Kong or more, then 38,000 in Taipei, then 212,000 in Bangalore, India, 7,000 in Karachi, 30,000 in Cape Town, 18,000 in Cairo, 12,000 in Ireland, 30,000 in Wembley Stadium, 13,000 in Dallas, 12 in in Alberta, Canada, 4,000 on the beaches of Santa Barbara, that was cool. This movement of prayer involved tens of millions of believers in all kinds of venues, in 220 nations and territories, and persisted for five years in most places and still continues to this day in others. That was 15 years ago. But today, the International Prayer Council led by Jason Hubbard, a good friend of mine, has built an online platform for 24 seven prayer, 365 days a year, that will soon involve a hundred million believers. That's right, a hundred million believers and subscribers The sun never setting on the intercessions of the saints. It's simply astonishing at how all of this has grown up over the last 30 years. But what are the consequences of this? The measurables. Two weeks ago, Sally and I were in Naples, Florida for the annual meeting of the Timothy Initiative, which is a discipling, an international discipling and church planting movement. And this ministry alone reports 42,000 churches planted in the last 12 months while projecting 65,000 church plants in the next 12 months. It's ballooning. All among unreached peoples, all among unreached peoples who have never heard the the name of Jesus. And 200,000 churches they have planted just in the last 10 years all among previously unreached peoples. These are real numbers. This is not evangelistically speaking. And they have the metrics to show it. And there are other ministries seeing similar, similar results. And get this, the Timothy Initiative is just one of a part of a coalition of about 20 international mission organizations, including the IMB, who intend to further, to push this even further, not just reaching unreached tribal groups, but to plant a church in every village, everywhere on the face of the earth, some 5.8 million villages, and within 10 years they will have the entire earth mapped, all the villages of the earth mapped. That's a total of 5.8 million villages. This is amazing, right? Meanwhile, for the first time in history, missions experts are projecting that we could have a Bible translation for the existing 7,000 languages completed, not in 100 years, but in the next 10 to 12 years, perhaps, maybe 15 fulfilling the words of Jesus in our lifetime that the message of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all ethnos, all language groups, and then the end will come. By the way, back in 1747, Jonathan Edwards predicted that the millennial reign of Christ would be inaugurated in a great and global movement of prayer across the earth, followed by the return of Christ in the air. Well, this humongous thing across the face of the earth can happen in your household, too. Can happen in your marriage in your family, in your neighborhoods. Next, prayer defines our destiny. How many things are you doing today that, uh, well, how many things are you doing today that you will not be doing in heaven? In fact, what are you doing today that that will last into eternity? Think about it, almost nothing that you're doing today will last. First Corinthians chapter 12, the love chapter, you remember the love chapter, everything's passing, it's really not the love chapter, it's the everything, almost everything is passing away except love chapter. Tongues will cease, knowledge will cease. We will know even as we are fully known in the day of the Lord. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love, why? Because it's the only thing that will last. There is no faith in the kingdom of heaven. It's been realized, there is no hope in the kingdom of heaven. Faith is the substance of things unseen, we will see it all. Hope will be fully realized. Love, practice love, get good at that, Paul says, because that lasts forever. Prayer will last forever. There's certain prayer that will not, intercessions, the groanings, the cries, the weeping before the Lord, The but our praise, Revelation 4 to 5, the ceaseless, ongoing praise of the saints, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. The prayers of heaven will go on forever. Many of them will be sung, even as we sang this morning, these are united prayers going up before the throne. This is your destiny, O God, O people, to praise your God in heaven. Prayer is the language of the Godhead, it is the language of heaven. Lastly, Jesus is our identity and ultimate model. We worship a God who prays. His prayers are integral in the, to the transformation, transformation of history and his destiny as well. Romans 8 tells us that Jesus is praying now. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus lives to intercede for the church. When you imagine Jesus in heaven, what do you imagine him doing? Do you, do you, do you have a picture of him in heaven? He's, he's in prayer in heaven praying for you. I trust not the, the prayers that I, I offer to my, for myself, but I, I trust fully the prayers that are being prayed for by Jesus himself and the groanings of the Holy Spirit, those utterances without, without the ability to, to understand what is all is going on, but all oh, the groans of the Holy Spirit ongoingly. Prayer was the means by which God downloaded into his son the very life and power and authority needed for the cross and the resurrection. Luke chapter six, chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often went away in lonely places, got away from the crowds to pray. Hebrews 5, 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. He, he interceded for us. Almost without exception, Jesus' greatest miracles were coupled with great praying. He prayed at his baptism, and as he was praying, heaven opened above his head, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove in bodily form, and a voice came from heaven identifying Jesus as God's son. Listen to him, I'm well pleased with him. Heaven opened, the Spirit descended. God revealed his glory And This happens every time we pray. It was after 40 days of prayer and fasting that he began his ministry and cast out demons and preached to multitudes. It was after praying all night that Jesus chose the 12 from among his disciples and called them apostles. Luke chapter six, verse 12. Jesus prayed all night before he chose his disciples. It was after a night of praying that Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee and terrified his disciples in the storm. They thought he was a ghost It was when Jesus took Peter and John and James on a mountain to pray that he was transfigured and his, his Father came in all of his glory and covered the mountain in glory. It was after praying that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It was after he prayed sweat drops of blood that Jesus was enabled and emboldened to endure the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And the crucifixion, the crucifixion itself was nothing other than an ongoing prayer meeting between the Father and the Son. The first words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And at the height of his agony, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the very last words out of his mouth, into thy hands. I commit my spirit. At which time the whole of Israel shook, the earth trembled, the rocks split, the tombs of Jerusalem were opened and the righteous were raised to life after Jesus prayed. And lastly, that resurrected Lord has ascended into heaven and now intercedes for us continually. Is it any wonder, then, that the only thing his disciples ever asked him to teach them was, Lord, teach us to pray. So let's say them one by one to close here. Prayer defines our relationship with God. Say it with me. Prayer defines our relationship with God. Prayer defines our relationship with history. Prayer defines our destiny. Defines our destiny. And, Jesus our and Jesus is our chief example. Well you say to me, "Well, Bob, this is, this is good, but I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do it well." Samuel Chadwick writes this: "There is no way to learn to pray to pray but by praying. There is no way to learn to pray, but by praying. No reasoned philosophy of prayer ever taught us all to pray. The subject is beset with problems, but there are no problems, no problems of prayer to the man who prays. And if prayer waits for understanding, it will never begin. Do it. The whole of the gospel in your life and through your life depends on it. The world is in desperate need of it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, a month and a half ago now, Israel was invaded by Hamas and did terrible things the country of Israel was was divided politically and socially, culturally but this urgent understanding that they were not as a country surrounded by potential friends but by real and dangerous enemies united the country in a day and they are persisting unitedly toward a common vision. My friends, we live in urgent times when the small things that may irritate us or divide us need to be put aside. And we need to focus ourselves upon that which is most important, that God would manifest himself in this day in power and grace in answer to the cries of his people. I trust that you will join us in such a vision. I trust that you will do it, if not for the country, for your household, and the generations yet to come. Pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, We give ourselves to you fully, wholly, unreservedly. Now, teach us, O Lord, dependence on the Spirit. Teach us to pray, uploading our lives into your grace and receiving from you continually your person and power. All to the glory of Christ, we pray, O Lord. And I pray if there are those in this room who do not know of what we speak, who do not know this Christ, and nor has ever tasted of this power and grace, this great privilege that has been extended to us through Jesus, I pray that now, in answer to our prayers, they would surrender. Come to faith in this wondrous Savior, for whom we live and breathe and have our being. And in whose name we pray, amen.